And today we want to look at some practical ways uh, and biblical uh, uh, steps and strategies for us to overcome self-doubt as a discipler. Hello and welcome again to another teaching session in our series, which we've titled Band of Disciples, Band of Disciples. And this is our fifth session uh, in this series, which we have divided into three main categories, if you like. There will be like mini series. The first one is the discipling calling. And this is what we've been looking at. A little while later, we're going to look at the discipling community and we'll finish off our teaching with the discipling competencies. However, in the past few sessions, we've been talking about who is a disciple. Discipler. And particularly in our last session, we talked about the discipler, not merely an evangelist, but a spiritual parent. And, uh, and being a spiritual uh, parent or just a parent uh, can uh, provoke within us some self-doubt, uh, can provoke within us um, some feelings of inadequacy. Uh, I recall, um, you know, I've, we've got now three children, one who's, uh, you know, 21-year-old and, 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 and two teenagers, um, uh, 17 and, and 14. And the reality is when I first, uh, you know, experienced fatherhood, I vividly remember feeling so inadequate. In fact, at, at some dark moments, I, I would think to myself, you know, I wish these beautiful kids had a better dad, someone that would that they deserve, someone that knows what to do with this parenting thing. I just felt like I was making things up as I was going. I, I didn't know how, uh, how to give them the best possible childhood experience. And, uh, and, I, and I often would think, I wish somebody actually really knew what they were doing would, would, would invade this space and, and, that, and, and would give those beautiful kids what they deserve. And you know what? In many situations around us, we experience individually or we observe others who encounter these self-doubts and, and they encounter sense of inadequacy. And if it's not dealt with, it seems like we can get derailed of our own pursuit and our calling and our God-given uh, uh, destiny. So today, having expressed the biblical truth that we are spiritual parents, I want to address some, something very practical uh, in many disciples' experiences. And if you have been engaging in discipling others for Jesus, I have no doubt that every now and again, you would potentially experience these thoughts of self-doubt. And, and today we want to look at some practical ways uh, and biblical uh, uh, steps and strategies for us to overcome self-doubt as a discipler. How can we overcome self-doubt as a discipler? And, uh, you know, as, as I said, you probably are familiar, not just in the discipling industry, 
but in, in genuine, uh, you know, day-to-day operation of experiences that you may recall where you felt so inadequate and doubted your capability to leave whatever occupation or profession or task that was before you. Uh, you know, and you notice other people, maybe you surrounded with, maybe at home or in your workplace or uh, in your sporting community or whatever it might be, who seem to exude with self-confidence and, and you think, what's going on? Like, how are these people so, um, you know, endowed with, with confidence like that? Life must be so effortless for them. And uh, I recall um, being in a wedding industry uh, several, uh, you know, many years ago, to be honest, but for several years, uh, I would go to the reception center after video, um, you know, filming uh, the bride's uh, house, the church, the photographic locations. Then towards the end of, of the day or in the evening, we would go to a reception center. And as soon as we arrive, obviously, I set up everything ready to capture the bridal party walking into the reception. But inevitably, I will get a chance to connect with, uh, you know, the band. And and obviously, in my initial uh, experiences, I was, a, you know, an apprentice, so to speak, you know, just going around with more experienced videographers uh, who would, uh, you know, teach me what to do. And, and my role was simply to carry their lights and their tripod and set everything up. I, I didn't really do much more than that, but just observe how they filmed the day. And sometimes they would express, you know, I'm doing this because of that. I've taken this shot because of that. They would help me understand what they're doing and why they are doing it. And I recall uh, very, very uh, early on in my um, you know, apprentice days, um, we would arrive to the reception and meet with the uh, with the band because we often sat on the same table as them and they seem these musicians seem to be so over the top confident <laughs> in fact once the, the the evening started some of those singers i bet they believe that the entire wedding was set up just for them to sing like forget about the bride and groom it's here i am uh, you know god's gift to, her, to, to, to earth and uh, to, uh, granted these people were so musically talented i must say like, even when they sang in a, in a different language, I, I noticed myself early on in, the, in my wedding days, you know, I would feel a little bit teary when these guys are singing, when the bride and groom are dancing, when the bride and the father of, of the bride are dancing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these guys know how to evoke emotions in the people. They were so confident. It made me feel a bit sick to be honest and I was so shy and, and reserved when it came to my own role as an apprentice in on these cameras and I, I remember after several weeks um, the guy that was training me said to me, okay, now it came a time where you begin to pan the camera. The, the camera was on a tripod, so it was very steady. And all I needed to do is to move the camera from side to side because the, you know, the guests were dancing on the dance floor. You couldn't miss anything. Like the, the, Usually the dance floor is full of people. So whatever you did, you will get there fine. <laughs> I was so petrified. I said to him, no way. 
way. You want me to ruin these people's wedding? Like, if what about if I stuff it up? And the guy said, listen, you can't stuff it up. And guess what? This is such an easy song. If you get it wrong, I will remove it and they won't know about it. And he convinced me to have a go at panning. Guess what? It just seems so easy after a while. I was looking forward to the next song that he would get me to pan. And after several weeks, I wanted to... Uh, you know, to take over, <laughs> not just with the panning, but with everything else. In fact, I thought maybe I should tell him to pan the, the not so important songs. But that's how it started with such lack of confidence that developed over time. And, uh, and the reality is, all our discipling experiences, even though it's endowed with a gift from heaven and an empowerment from the Holy Spirit, we still as human uh, go through this uh, lack of confidence and self-doubt stages. And some of us would doubt their ability to disciple others and maybe say to themselves, you know, I don't know enough. You know, it's that what we call the propositional trap. You know, they don't feel like they have enough theological knowledge or mastery of the Christian doctrine. And they worried that the person that they're discipling or the group that they're discipling, they might ask him a hard question. Whoopie-doo. They might, you know, ask you to, to, to share something that you don't know yet. Uh, but the reality is that can uh, m create such tension on the inside of us. I say, no, 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 I'm not going to engage it. I, I need to, to know more. I need to study more. I need to graduate from theology or whatever it might be. And the reality is that can become a bit of self-doubt. Uh, the, the second, um, you know, lie that the enemy brings to, 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 to our mind is, I don't have the authority. It's like, who do you think I am to disciple other people? I'm not a pastor. I'm not an appointed elder in a church. I'm not a deacon. Um, I, I haven't been voted as, as you know, the, the, the church's uh, discipler, <laughs> as if that's something that needs voting. Uh, the reality is, uh, this is, uh, you know, we call it the positional trap. We think that I can only disciple others when I've been granted a position, uh, knowing that Jesus actually affiliated the idea of being a discipler with being a disciple. Being a disciple mandates that we are disciples because we observe what Jesus taught, of which he said, go and make disciples. Then the third self-doubt and trap that is almost irrational, but, but impacts us. And we say to ourselves, I'm not good enough. As if there is actually a spectrum where you can reach a particular stage and say, now I'm good enough. It's like, based on what? <laughs> What's the standard that makes you good enough? Otherwise, you haven't hit the mark yet. And this trap we could title the perfection trap, where we're always seeking to be faultless before we can actually, you know, disciple. And even if we arrive to the point of being faultless, we will look back at our past mistakes and failures and flaws and negative experiences and say, oh man, there is no way God will accept me now. I stuffed up too much to be allowed to embark on God's work. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I did so many stupid things. I couldn't possibly be accepted. I disqualify myself. And the most amazing, amazing thing is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest discipler we read about, who mentioned this concept to us of being a father, 
as a discipler, he himself had a pretty traumatic past. You know, we, we, we hear that he persecuted the church. We hear that he was present when Stephen, the first uh, martyr of, of the Christian church, was stoned. And, and he was guarding the, the, the clothing of those who, um, who, who stoned him. We hear that he went to Damascus to get more people to be persecuted uh, for their uh, faith in Jesus. And, and, he, and he himself recognized the weight of the past over his ministry after his encounter of Jesus. In fact, he says in one place, he says that I'm the least of the apostles. Uh, at other times, he says, I'm the least of the saints. And, and in other uh, place, he mentions that he's the worst of sinners. Uh, can you notice that he his past wasn't something that he chucked away and thought, you know, everything's all right. But that didn't, any sort of doubt, any sort of past failure didn't disqualify him. And it shouldn't disqualify you and me if we learn from the uh, um, uh, strategies, the divine enablement that Paul took the heart and, and, and allowed him to live with confidence despite of his own failure, his own flaws, and, and, and his own uh, incompetence. You know, he says our sufficiency is from God. The funny thing is that even as an apostle in uh, in the second letter of uh, to, to the Corinthians, Paul had to defend uh, his authority as an apostle and his legitimacy, uh, uh, the legitimate ministry that he uh, you know pioneered in the midst of the Gentiles, because people were saying, "You're not really an apostle. You don't have the capacities as a preacher. You know, other people are better writers than you. You know, you." Uh, Far away from us, you've got all this power, you know, your your capacity, persuasive capacity to write letters. But when you come and be with us, you're not that great. And some commentators, as a result, tell us that the word Paul means little, could mean, uh, you know, uh, that he's a little in stature. Or it could literally mean that he felt little uh as compared to those people who didn't uh, persecute the church, who were, uh, you know, living the life of Jesus uh, without his past failures and, and, and persecution of the church. However, Paul still lived as a discipler, as a parent with full of confidence in the grace of God. So I want to bring you to the passage that we looked at briefly in, in our last session where Paul presents himself as a parent, as a spiritual parent, as a nursing mother, and as a loving father. Uh, and we're going to grasp maybe uh, um, you know some of the implied uh, points of confidence in the life of Paul that it may help us too to feel the sense of God-given confidence in our role as disciples. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Obviously, um, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians was written after uh, Paul and Silas who went and established a church um, in Thessaloniki. Actually, my family uh, went to Thessaloniki to check the area where Paul um, you know, pioneered the church. And the church um, soon became 
uh, a mix of Jews and Gentiles who received the message of Jesus were united with Christ and received the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then uh, because of the declaration of Jesus being a king and Lord, uh, the uh, the community revolted against this new ideology, so to speak, and and they started persecuting the Christians so much. So, you know, who who are you saying now is a lord? You know, I've got Caesar as lord. Uh, how could you talk like that? Uh, we have another king, another emperor. Uh, they, they they fought against the Christians, and Paul and Silas had to leave pretty quickly uh, after they established this little uh, church family in Thessaloniki. Uh, so uh, they wrote the letter to connect again with the uh, disciples to ensure that they are doing well and they're thriving. They had received a report from Timothy as well. And they want to celebrate, uh, you know, their turning away from idols to be with God and celebrate the response to Paul's and Silas' uh, uh, visitation and mission to them. But also uh, that letter speaks to them about continue to grow. uh, You know, some commentators tell us the letter is all about about spiritual growth and sanctification and going to the next level. But early on in the letter, Paul recounts his visit, you know, obviously the incredible visit that Paul had there with the Thessalonians. And he says this, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Of course, because they were transformed as a result. We had previously suffered and have been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God who have been entrusted with the gospel. They have been entrusted with the gospel. Can you see the word dared? That speaks to me of such uh, passion and confidence and courage. Yes, they have been hurt in the past. That didn't stop them. That didn't derail them. That didn't make them feel inferior. However, it pushed them to live out their calling. Why? Because they've been entrusted by God. Paul had confidence, regardless of circumstances, regardless of criticism, regardless of hardship, regardless of his past, he had full confidence in his, in his role as a discipler because he felt approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. He had a calling that was authored by God. And you and I, If we're going to experience this God-given confidence, our confidence needs to be based on our God-authored calling. Our God-authored calling. The problem often occurs when we look at ourselves, our incompetence, our past experiences, our failings, our flaws, uh, all of that. When we look inwardly, when we look 
externally at our circumstances, when we look backward at our past failures, we could lose confidence. We say, oh, maybe I, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really good at this stuff. Uh, maybe I'm not really the type of person that God could entrust me. No, you need to understand that you as a follower of Jesus have been given God given calling, you are called to disciple others. And if God called you, if God appointed you, God Almighty, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, He knows whom He selects. He doesn't make mistakes in His appointments. He doesn't call people. It says that the callings and the giftings of God are irrevocable. It's not revocable because God knows your abilities because He deposits His abilities in you. So don't ever give up because you're thinking, I don't have the calling. You have been given a calling to be a discipler and that calling is associated with you accepting Christ, being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and learning to obey God to live out His calling for your life that is given generally to all the Christian and to you specifically as you unite yourself in baptism to Christ and live the life of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. You have been called. God knows those whom He calls and that should be the basis of your confidence. Let's look at what else Paul finds to be the basis of his confidence. It says, Verses 5 and 6 in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. And as you look through this uh, recount of the visit, you can notice Paul's confidence about his own life, about the character that he displayed amongst the people. Surely it wasn't perfect character. Because no one other than Jesus is perfect, but he was sincere. He was an authentic example who is desperate to live the life that God had deposited in him by potentiality. God gave him divine capabilities to live a life that pertains to godliness. And he's been authentically pursuing that type of life. He's saying, we didn't cover up anything. We're not hypocrites. Deep inside our heart, you know, we might stuff up every now and again, but deep inside of our heart, we know we were trying to please God. Yeah, we may have failed. Yes, we may have stuffed up. But the reality is we know deep inside our hearts that we were trying to please God. We wanted to live a holy, righteous, and blameless life. There is a difference between our attitude our conviction to live a particular lifestyle and our behavior when we fail. And of course, on this side of eternity, we're going to experience ups and downs in our behavior, in our actions. But what Paul is saying is that our entire conviction to live that lifestyle, the attitude that pleases God gives us confidence that the Holy Spirit is active on the inside of us. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit 
Paul says to the Philippians that, uh, you know, makes us willing to do good. Philippians 2.13. So the second basis of Paul's confidence comes from his God-honoring character. Not perfection, but authentically wanting to live to honor God. And as long as you're committed to live wholeheartedly for Jesus and to honor God with every fiber of your being. You can see what He's done on your behalf and you want your life to echo um, a sound of gratitude, uh, a song of gratitude. God sees your heart regardless of what other people think of you. So, In order to have moral authority, you got to be willing to live wholeheartedly for Jesus with a godly character. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means authenticity. Let's see the third base, final basis for Paul's confidence in that chapter. In verses 7 and 9, he says, Instead, we were like young children among you. That means simplicity, not, 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 not being uh, proud or arrogant or, or treating people as if uh, uh, people are you know, lower than them. They just went to the lowest level of being uh, uh, people in a family. It says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Look at the metaphor. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our very lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be burdened to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Can you see Paul here has very clear understanding of his role. He has clarity about his role of a nursing mother and a loving father. He says that we cared for you like a nursing mother. And again, he tells us in verses 11 and 12, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul had real uh, specific clarity about his role as a discipler. So you notice with me when he was talking about um, his role as a nursing mother, he says that he cared for people, that he loved them very much, and that he shared his life with them transparently. So as a mother, he had clarity of role. What would a mother do? Would care for those needs of her children would love so much, like, you know, even the the scripture in the Old Testament uses the mother as the example of ultimate unconditional love. God says, you know, could a nursing mother forget her child? That doesn't make any sense. No way, God says. You know, he's using that as as a, a standard of real, genuine, much love. And Paul is saying, we are mothers because we cared, because we loved you so much deeply. And because we shared our lives with you, we didn't just share some assertions and beliefs and some tracts and, and document about the Christian faith. 
No, we share our lives. So he had a very clear idea of what his role is as a mother. But then he also had very clear idea of what is his role as a father. He said that we encourage. He, that means he, he, he helped them to give them courage to be. He built them up. He comforted them when they were, uh, you know, the comfort is, is when somebody's weak. It's not just when somebody's sad, but to comfort, like the Holy Spirit is a comforter, which means somebody that comes alongside us to give us strength. So Paul is saying, we, we helped you in, in whatever spiritual condition you find yourself in. We encourage, we support it. Uh, another word would be for comfort who supported, strengthened you. But then he says, and my other role was to urge you. That means to convict you, to uh, pressure you in a good way, to stimulate you, to provoke you, to, 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 to challenge you. Why, Paul? So that you could live lives worthy of God, so that you could live the life that God created you to live in Jesus, stimulate your alignment of your beliefs with your lifestyle. Paul had clarity of role, and I would say that gives confidence because of his God-given competence to be able to live out that role. And we too, can have confidence that God, if He called us to be disciples, if He's called us to be spiritual parents, and if we have clarity of the role, we can say, Lord, I need to, I need to care. Give me the ability to care, Lord, with your own heart. Give me the ability to encourage. Give me the ability to urge. Give me the ability to challenge. And God will give us the competence as we come to Him and, and, and rely on, uh, on His Spirit's empowerment and also the encouragement and support of his people to live out the the role that he's given us to live my friends if you are willing to live out the calling that God has given you if you are willing to live wholeheartedly for Jesus with a clear conscience with a godly character if you are willing to open yourself up so that God can give you the competence guess what God is saying I will look after you you. I will support you throughout the journey of your discipling. I will encourage you when you are down. I will lift you up if you fall, but don't derail yourself from taking the first steps of panning the camera. It may seem overwhelming. It may seem like you're going to stuff it up, but God would say, I will wipe that part out. Don't worry. You're not going to stuff anybody up. And maybe after you do a few pannings, after a little while, you feel the courage and the confidence by God's Spirit to do a little bit more filming, to do a little bit more investment, to venture into a more increased sense of responsibility. And guess what? Just like I experienced in the video production industry, within about five years, I, I was um, uh, blessed and fortunate enough to submit some of my videos that I did with my own ability without the need of other um, people to help, whether filming or to edit. It, and I submitted one of my wedding videos to the Australian Video Producers Association and I actually received the gold award in two categories. The same guy that couldn't pan the 
floor was now on the stage receiving two awards, highest awards in Australia for video wedding video producers. And the same God that can work in the person that can't pan the camera can work in your life with far greater ability with God-given empowerment because this thing is eternal. It's not like doing videos. It's changing eternities. And God is on your side. Don't let the enemy derail his calling over your life. God bless you. And until our next session, be utterly blessed.